would now like to invite Josiah Vanderbeek to lead us in a message from the Word and the Lord's Song. It's a great privilege to be with you this morning. I'm just gonna, um, I am rejoicing with you at uh, Casey's sustaining of his ordination exams, and I look forward to participating uh, with you in his ordination service. What a joy, what an answer to prayer it must be for you. Um, and truly the Lord has heard your, your, heard your prayer and answered. Our scripture reading this morning comes from Daniel chapter 5. Uh, found in your pew Bibles on page 742. If you would turn with me there. This is God's holy, inspired, inerrant, and infallible word. King Belshazzar made a great feast for a thousand of his lords and drank wine in front of the thousand. Belshazzar, when he tasted the wine, commanded that the vessels of gold and of silver that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had taken out of the temple in Jerusalem be brought, that the kings and his lords, his wives, and his concubines might drink from them. Then they brought in the golden vessels that had been taken out of the temple, the house of God in Jerusalem. And the king and his lords, his wives, and his concubines drank from them. They drank wine and praised the gods of gold and silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. Immediately the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace opposite the lampstand. And the king saw the hand as it wrote. Then the king's color changed and his thoughts alarmed him. His limbs gave way and his knees knocked together. The king called loudly to bring in the enchanters, the Chaldeans and the astrologers. The king declared to the wise men of Babylon, whoever reads this writing and shows me its interpretation shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around his neck and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. Then all the king's wise men came in, but they could not read the writing or make known to the king the interpretation. And King Belshazzar was greatly alarmed, and his color changed, and his lords were perplexed. The queen, because of the words of the king and his lords, came in the banqueting hall, and the queen declared, O king, live forever. Let not your thoughts alarm you or your color change. There is a man in your kingdom in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. In the days of your father, light and understanding and wisdom, like the wisdom of the gods, were found in him. And King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, your father the king, made him chief of the magicians, enchanters, Chaldeans, and astrologers, because an excellent spirit, knowledge, and understanding to interpret dreams, explain riddles, and solve problems were found in this Daniel, whom the king named Belteshazzar. Now let Daniel be called, and he will show you the interpretation. Then Daniel was brought in before the king. The king answered and said to Daniel, You are that Daniel, one of the exiles of Judah, whom the king my father brought from Judah. I have heard of you that the spirit of the gods is is in you and that light and understanding and excellent wisdom are found in you. 
Now the wise men, the enchanters, have been brought in before me to read this writing and make known to me its interpretation, but they could not show the interpretation of the matter. But I have heard that you can give interpretations and solve problems. Now if you can read the writing and make known to me its interpretation, you shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around your neck. You shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. Then Daniel answered and said before the king, let your gifts be for yourself and give your rewards to another. Nevertheless, I will make known to him the interpretation. O king, the most high God gave Nebuchadnezzar your father kingship and greatness and glory and majesty. And because of the greatness that he gave him, all peoples, nations, and languages trembled and feared before him. Whom he would, he killed, and whom he would, he kept alive. Whom he would, he raised up, and whom he would, he humbled. But when his heart was lifted up, and his spirit was hardened, so that he dealt proudly, he was brought down from his kingly throne, and his glory was taken from him. He was driven from among the children of mankind, and his mind was made like that of a beast, and his dwelling was with the wild donkeys. He was fed grass like an ox, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven until he knew that the Most High God rules the kingdom of mankind and sets over it whom he will. And you, his son, Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart, though you knew all this. But you have lifted up yourself against the Lord of heaven, and the vessels of his house have been brought in before you, And you and your lords, your wives, and your concubines have drunk wine from them. And you have praised the gods of silver and gold, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone, which do not see or hear or know, but the God in whose hand is your breath, and whose are all your ways you have not honored. Then from his presence the hand was sent, and this writing was inscribed. And this is the writing that was inscribed. Mene, Mene, Tekel, and Parson. This is the interpretation of the matter. Mene, God has numbered the days of your kingdom and brought it to an end. Tekel, you have been weighed in the balances and found wanting. Paris, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and Persians. And Belshazzar gave the command and Daniel was clothed with purple. A chain of gold was put around his neck. And a proclamation was made about him that he should be the third ruler in the kingdom. That very night, Belshazzar, the Chaldean king, was killed. And Darius the Mede received the kingdom, being about 62 years old. Let's pray. Gracious God and Father, we ask that you would speak to us now by the power of your Holy Spirit. Illuminate our minds to understand your word. To understand what you have declared in the past and spoken to us by the mouth of your prophets. And help us to understand how Christ, our great prophet, speaks now to us. We pray these things in Christ's name and for his sake. Amen. Pride. Pride has often been thought of as the original sin, the source of all other sins. I'm sure some of you have heard of Dante's Divine Comedy. If you haven't, this Divine Comedy is an epic poem. And in this 14th century work, we find the Inferno, Dante's famous vision of hell. And in this famous 
vision, we find pride described as one of the deadly sins, uh, the sin that is the source of all others. And as we examine Daniel 5 this morning, you will see uh, an almost eerie similarity that arises between Dante's understanding of pride and the Bible's understanding of pride. And that similarity is found in the Bible's description of pride as egotism. Simply put, according to the scriptures, pride, pride according to the scripture, is desiring to be like God and to usurp him, to usurp his authority, to be God. Pride is man-centeredness. And as we will see in the story of Belshazzar, we see the emptiness of living a life that is man-centered, that is prideful. And we also will see the tragic byproduct of pride, which is death. In the case of Belshazzar, Belshazzar, both spiritual death and physical death. And we find a, a tragic ending for spiritual pride, which is uh, the wrath of God, hell, and eternal separation from his love. But as we, as we see the path of pride walked to the end by Belshazzar, I'd ask you to keep in front of you and in your mind Mark chapter 1, verse 15. Because all of us are guilty of the kind of pride that we see in Belshazzar at times. And in Mark chapter 1, verse 15, Jesus proclaims, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. So even for those of us who are seeking to do battle with the enemy, who wrestle with pride, who uh, struggle with the temptation to be gods unto ourselves, remember that there is forgiveness for all who repent and who seek the Lord. And if we receive and rest upon Christ, we can be assured that we will find forgiveness. As you follow along with me in your Bibles in Daniel chapter 5, there are simply two lessons this morning that I want to observe. Firstly, the importance of living faithfully as exiles. And secondly, the nature of unbelief and the judgment that follows. Firstly, living faithfully as exiles. And secondly, the nature of unbelief and resulting judgment. But before we delve uh, into those two lessons, I want to provide some historical context and situate our text a little bit to give you a sense of where we are in the scriptures. So if you look at Daniel chapter 5, verse 1, we find a particular setting. We read that King Belshazzar made a great feast for, for a thousand of his lords and drank wine in front of the thousand. So first of all, who is Belshazzar. Well, for starters, Belshazzar was the grandson of Nebuchadnezzar, uh, according to Jeremiah chapter 27, verse 7. And we know that this king, Nebuchadnezzar, the grandfather of Belshazzar, uh, we know from Daniel chapter 4 that he receives a message from the Lord in his dreams. And Daniel in chapter 4 interprets Nebuchadnezzar's dream. And what we find 
with Nebuchadnezzar is, is the polar opposite of Belshazzar. It's, it's a character foil, if you will. With Nebuchadnezzar, we find a display of humiliation, repentance. He prostrates himself before the Lord. He, he mirrors for us as Christians how we should respond when the Lord convicts us of sin. Now, it's important to note that Belshazzar was not technically the king, but rather it was his father, Nabonidus, who held the throne. And this may provide us, uh, give us some clue uh, as to why Belshazzar hosts this feast in the first place. Why, why does he have this feast? Um, and this is probably because Belshazzar did not receive a coronation. And perhaps this feast was uh, a self-proclamation of kingship. And this might explain why uh, in Daniel chapter 5, verse 7, we see Belshazzar only able to offer the third rank of ruler as the best option. Um, If he had a higher rank, maybe it would have been possible for him to bestow a higher gift. Um, But as we see in verse 1, we don't have specific indication as to why Belshazzar is holding this feast. All we have is... Daniel chapter 4 ends with the restoration of Nebuchadnezzar. And then we immediately shift to the scene of Belshazzar's party in chapter 5. Two whole generations later. What our text does clearly tell us though is that this feast is idolatrous. That this feast is blasphemous. And this feast reveals the deep-seated pride of Belshazzar, his Relentless desire to usurp God's authority, to make himself the divine being. In verses 2 through 4, we read this. Belshazzar, when he tasted the wine, commanded that the vessels of gold and of silver that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had taken out of the temple in Jerusalem be brought, that the king and his lords, his wives, and his concubines might drink from them. Later on, they drank wine and praised the gods of gold and silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. So now you can begin to see the picture of this brazen display of blasphemy. You have the juxtaposition of grandfather and grandson, God-fearer and God-overthrower, Nebuchadnezzar and Belshazzar. Belshazzar calls for the explicit desecration of God's vessels. And Belshazzar partakes in the worship of material things, uh, both in the form of these idols and in the display of drunkenness and gluttony. And so we begin to see this dark and dangerous image, the result of unbridled pride. So now that we understand something of the setting of Daniel chapter 5, I want to now talk about the two lessons that we can learn from the story of Belshazzar. Number one, faithfulness in exile. Look with me at Daniel chapter 5, verses 10 through 12. We read this, The queen, because of the words of the king and his lords, came into the banqueting hall, And the queen declared, O king, live forever. Let not your thoughts alarm you or your color change. There is a man in your kingdom 
in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. In the days of your father, light and understanding and wisdom, like the wisdom of the gods were found in him. And King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, your father the king, made him chief of the magicians, enchanters, Chaldeans, and astrologers, because an excellent spirit, knowledge, and understanding to interpret dreams, explain riddles, and solve problems were found in this Daniel, whom the king named Belteshazzar. So we've observed the feast and its vain conceit. And Belshazzar has just seen the writing of God upon the wall. And he's petrified. His wise men can't answer the riddle. He's, he's alone. He's, he's desperate and fearful. And what we find is, is a display of God's faithfulness to his covenant people. Daniel had spent the majority of his life living in exile. He had been uprooted from family and friends and homeland by King Nebuchadnezzar when he'd been taken into captivity. But if you remember in Daniel chapter 1, there's a singular act that Daniel does that reveals an enduring faithfulness to God. He refuses to eat food sacrificed to idols. Could you imagine sitting before one of the most powerful leaders in the world and refusing to eat some of his food on the basis of religious conviction? But this is what God requires of us. God requires that we hold fast to him and to his word in the face of all hostility, trials, or persecution. And when we understand the time in which Daniel lived, we find that our time is not so different. Daniel was commanded to eat food offered to idols. So too, Christians in this age have been commanded to bow down to the, to the God of this age, the God of the self. And we are bombarded with the idol of self today in our culture. And the world wants us to join hands with it and to worship at the altar of the individual, to make ourselves like God, as Belshazzar desired to do. And this can manifest itself in many ways, the worship of self. We've seen that throughout our culture. We continue to see it in issues of human sexuality, transgenderism. But rather than bow down to the altar of self, rather than worship the individual, we like Daniel must guard the deposit of truth that has been delivered to us. We must remain faithful in moments of adversity. And rather than cater to the spirit of this age, we must confess Christ and hold fast. It's tempting for us at times to want to be like the world. But we are called to crucify this, this carnal desire. As Jesus reminds us in John 15, verse 8, as the world ha- hated Jesus, so they will hate us. And as the Apostle James writes in James chapter 4, verse 4, friendship with the world is enmity with God. And yet we must hold that in balance with the fact that we are called to be in the world and yet not of it. 
Friendship with the world is enmity with God, yet at the same time, we must remain beacons of light in a dying world and engage the world with the hope that we have within us rather than retreat. And in Daniel chapter 5, we see the fruit of his courage to obey God. God causes the queen to remember Daniel, to remember the servant of the Lord, to remember what God has given to him. Daniel, the man of faith, is called upon because he was steadfast to the triune God. And God uses Daniel's witness to accomplish his will and to display his power. And God may not always use our faithfulness in the same way that he does with Daniel to display his power and to display his glory in this world. But what we can be sure of, what what we learn from this text, is that we have assurance that God will never leave us nor forsake us, that he has numbered the hairs of our head, that nothing can separate us from God's love. He will remember his covenant with you. And though it is challenging at times to live as exiles here, as the Apostle Peter reminds us, we are exiles here in Philadelphia. God can and will use the bright light of our lives to display his gospel. And we've seen the fruit of this action uh, even in the last few years as the Lord has brought his church through the pandemic. Right? Churches that, that understood that our worship is essential, that the worship of the triune God is more than our, even our daily physical bread that we eat. God has drawn unbelievers to himself through that faithful witness. People wonder, how, how can these people gather? How can these Christians gather in the midst of disease? What hope do they have that would cause them to have courage, to gather, to assemble, to worship the Lord. Surely they have something beyond the mere here and now. And God has uh, used the church, even in a period of disease, to bring unbelievers to himself, to cause those who uh, reject him to question their very existence, to question uh, the very material world in which we live. And my prayer is that God would continue to make us beacons of light as his worshiping people, as his covenant people, that as we assemble, as we are called and set apart as a kingdom of priests, we would be distinct. We would be marked by salt and light, by the character and love of Jesus Christ. As we live out the gospel, as we demonstrate the heart of Christ in a world that is perishing, may the Lord use our witness to bring men and women to himself. Well, let's look at the second lesson here from our text that I want to draw to your attention. The second lesson is the nature of unbelief and the judgment that results. And here we we begin to see the path of pride and arrogance walked to the bitter end. And the queen has informed Belshazzar that The faithful exile Daniel can interpret the handwriting. And Daniel provides a brief history lesson for Belshazzar recounting God's judgment uh, in verses 22 to 23. Here's 
some very key, these are some very key verses for us regarding the nature of unbelief, verses 22 to 23, if you look with me there. And you, his son, Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart, though you knew all this, but you have lifted up yourself against the Lord of heaven, and the vessels of his house have been brought in before you, and you and your lords, your wives, and your concubines have drunk wine from them. You have praised the gods of silver and gold, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone, which do not see or hear or know. And listen to this. But the God in whose hand is your breath and whose are all your ways you have not honored. And here we find a a very hard truth, yet a very unmistakable truth. It's very plain. Daniel tells Belshazzar that you have not humbled yourself even though you knew all of this. Right? Belshazzar knew the truth. He knew of God's faithfulness to Nebuchadnezzar, how he humbled him, brought him to the point of repentance. Belshazzar in his heart of hearts knew what was wrong. He was without excuse, morally culpable. And many of us here today know the right thing We know God to be true. And sometimes we find ourselves in a storm of apathy. We become complacent. We become no longer sensitive to the mercies of God. We've forgotten his faithfulness to our mothers and to our fathers. And I want to remind you, brothers and sisters, that to whom much is given, much is expected. And we here this morning who have received the knowledge of God, who have tasted the words of everlasting life, we are held accountable. We will give an account before the throne of grace on the last day. And at times we may place our trust in our own ability to do things, in our Bible reading, our good works. And we might even say, I don't, I don't bow down to any material idols, to any wooden vessels like Belshazzar. But even for us who are born again, we are tempted to worship spiritual idols, idols of the heart. As John Calvin says, our hearts are idol factories. We are prone to worship false gods. So we must crucify those desires within our hearts and rest and the Holy Spirit. The Apostle Paul also explains this reality for the unbeliever, that even the unbeliever is without excuse. We see this in Romans chapter 1, verse 20, when the Apostle Paul writes that God's invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. Every human being, every man, woman, boy, and girl who has ever walked the face of this planet knows something of the triune God. God has revealed himself to them plainly and clearly in creation. It's not enough to save, but he has clearly revealed himself. And so all are without excuse. Excuse. Belshazzar knew the truth and yet he suppressed it in unrighteousness.
And for believers, again, the lesson here is, as those who worship him now, our calling is to put to death the pride that knocks at the door, as James gives us that, that image, the, the sin that lurks at the door, as, as Satan desires to ensnare us, to deceive us. He would love nothing more than to make a mockery of the gospel by having us succumb to the sin of pride. And now we come to the ensuing judgment for those who finally are unbelieving. And we read of judgment, condemnation, and the wrath of God. If you look at verses 25 to 30 in chapter 5, what we find here is the exacting and the weighing of Belshazzar's sin. This is the interpretation of the dream. Mene, mene, tekel and parson. This is the interpretation of the matter. God, mene, God has numbered the days of your kingdom and brought it to an end. Tekel, you have been weighed in the balances and found wanting. Perez, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. And this is the judgment that we read of at the end. That very night, Belshazzar, the Chaldean king, was killed. And Darius the Mede received the kingdom. So really, this this story is an example for our instruction. The The Apostle Paul speaks of the Old Testament, all of the Old Testament, as being stories, examples given to us for our instruction in 1 Corinthians 10. He says, these things have been written for us so that we may learn and not sin. So brothers and sisters, this is a a, a tragic ending to a sad story, and yet it is relevant. It is relevant to us. We must learn and be on guard against pride that lurks at the door. As we come to the end of the story of Belshazzar, I want to encourage and remind you not to despair, I want to encourage you to consider and take heart in the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ, which I reminded us of in Mark chapter 1, that there is forgiveness for all who repent and believed. And I would remind us, I would remind us to reflect on the glory of our risen Lord and Savior, because upon Him was an even greater judgment. Upon him was an even greater judgment than was placed upon Belshazzar. The judgment of God upon Christ Jesus was the wrath of God for the sins of you and me. Upon Jesus Christ was placed the total and complete penalty for sin so that those who put their trust in him might not perish. And experience this end that Belshazzar ends. This is the glorious gospel recorded for us in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. We no longer face condemnation, Our sins have been washed and cleansed by the blood of the Lamb. 
And if you are in Christ, then even, even the sin of pride that we will stumble into at times has been nailed to the tree. That doesn't mean that we go on sinning. That doesn't mean that we continue on in sin. Right? As the Apostle Paul says, shall we then sin that grace may abound? By no means. But as his children, we have comfort knowing that he has paid the penalty and we now walk in newness of life, trusting that he will sanctify us by his Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Oh Lord God, Heavenly King, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you have written these things for our instruction. We thank you that you have given us examples so that we might not fall and stumble as our forefathers in the faith and that even this story of an unrepentant, unregenerate uh, man, Belshazzar, can provide instruction for how we should live. We pray, Lord, that each of us would become acutely aware by the power of your Spirit of the sins of pride that lurk within our hearts. Help us to crucify them. Help us to put to death the old man, to put on the new man, to not grow arrogant or prone to think that it's something within us that merits your grace. But Lord, as Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And so when we boast, we boast not in ourselves, but we boast in the Lord Jesus Christ and what he's done for us. We pray these things in his mighty name. Amen. We now come to the Lord's table as those who have been called out of darkness and into his light. We are called as faithful exiles to repent of our pride and to lean on Christ. We are called as a kingdom of priests with a citizenship that is in heaven. And so as we gather around the table that the Lord has prepared for us, this is covenant family meal in which the Lord Jesus says to you, I am yours and you are mine. His body which has been pierced for us and his blood which is shed for you are represented here in the visible signs and elements of bread and wine. And yet, we truly feed upon the body and blood of our Lord through the instrument of faith by the power of his Holy Spirit. Christ is present for you in this meal as you partake by faith. We welcome all who are baptized in the triune name and who are members in good standing to join us at the Lord's table. This covenant meal is for all who believe and rest upon the Lord Jesus Christ. And yet the Lord's Supper is also for sinners, for those who resolve to lead a new life In Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul says these words. The cup of blessing that we bless. Is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break. Is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread. We who are many are one body. For we all partake of the one bread. On the night in which he was betrayed, 
Jesus took bread and gave thanks. Let's pray.